It's been an ongoing social experiment to see if you would just stand even when there was no Scripture reading because I'd just, be real honest with you, I just forgot. Uh, had a few things going on, so um, please forgive me. I, won't, I will do my best not to do that again. And if you think I have, text me and remind me to have some Scripture reading. Uh, hopefully you have gotten a, a, a uh, one-page outline of the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's where we'll find ourselves this evening. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and as we have been looking through that Old Testament, we've been seeing the scarlet thread of redemption. How God is going to bring Jesus into this world in the books that we call the gospel. This is the, uh, the prequel, if you will, to Jesus' life on this earth. And he's telling them over and over and over, this is how I'm going to do it. This particular book is just a little bit different. How many of you grew up in the 80s? How many of you know what the 80s are? Not the 80s that you may be in now. Let's go back to the 1980s. There was a show on Nickelodeon, and that's, they used to show television shows there. And it was called Mr. Wizard. Anybody ever watch Mr. Wizard? Mr. Wizard always had these really cool science experiments that always worked, and it wasn't until later that I figured out why they always worked. Everything he always kind of put into the beakers or everything they always tried to do was always pre-measured, pre-planned, and they knew exactly how that experiment was going to happen or how it was going to blow up miserably. It never did, though. How many of you have ever watched um, Looney Tunes and see the uh, coyote mixing up his experiment and it always blow up in his face, right? Secretly, how many of you like to see it blow up in his face? Okay, all right. Just what you're going to see tonight. If, if I had a one-sentence summary of the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a science experiment that blows up in Solomon's face. Let me ask you a question that was asked to our teenage group at camp by one of our elders. What is the first descriptive term that you think of when you think of Solomon. I got called on first in class on that question, and I said, wise. Thomas was called next, and he said, wives. Another said, rich. You know, it was pointed out, and it was almost a mind-altering point out to me. All of those things are descriptive terms of him, but you know what term never comes? Godly. I said, man, look at that. That dog right there will hunt, won't it? When you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to look at the life of a man who's tried everything. He had all the means necessary to try everything. He was, after all, the richest man to have ever lived. 
He had everything he ever wanted and ever even considered. Imagine if you could have everything you ever wanted. And then imagine that you had everything you ever considered. If he just thought about it, he could get it. Not only could he get it, but at times even visiting dignitaries would donate it, would give it to him as a gift. He had everything he wanted. There's nothing he could look around his house and say, boy, I wish I had. Now he had it. To include animals of all sorts. To include wives of all kinds. What we'll find in 1 Kings chapter number 11, the first two or three verses, is that those wives were mostly unauthorized. And we'll also find out that those wives were mostly for a political uh, purpose so that they never were invaded. What you'll also find in the first few, first few verses of 1 Kings chapter 11 is not only did Solomon have 700 wives, but because of that, he built about 700 different denominations in Israel. You think God's happy with that? He goes through this book and he says, man, I've, I've done everything a guy could possibly do. And he begins by saying in verse number 9, anything that you and I would aspire to do is not new. Everything that has been done has been done up to this point. And so he decided to just follow after his own lust and, and whatever his heart would, would desire, he would give that. And as you know, that makes you extremely happy, doesn't it? Not really. You know how I know that? I can look at society, the society even in which we live that says, if you, if you want something, you ought to go get that. And you walk around society with a bunch of people who are never happy or satisfied. I'm going to build things. I'm going to build gardens. I'm going to build buildings. I'm going to build structures. I'm going to build everything I possibly can. Okay. Still not going to help you. I'm going to put inside of all of those buildings, uh, statues toward myself, statues toward others. I'm going to construct everything that I can. I'm going to uh, just throw myself into my job. I'm going to throw myself into uh, the fact that I am the king and everyone should treat me as such. And none of those things fill the hole. You can ask Heath more about this because he is more well-versed in this idea uh, than I am. But I have read that there are some psychologists who would agree to the fact that man has a hole in him. Here, as you and I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and in this God-shaped hole... Solomon is throwing everything he can possibly think of inside this hole, and it's not filling up. Would you like to know why? Because it's not the right shape. 
It's not the right size. It's not the right volume. It's just not going to work. There's a certain specific key that fits inside of this hole, and he hadn't begun to see it yet. But about verse or chapter number 11, he gets everything dialed in. In 11 and 12, he finally tells us what all of the, uh, the conclusions of all of his scientific experimenting is, although we're never told if he did it. Isn't that sad? To know exactly what you could do in order to serve God, but maybe not do it. He starts in verse 11 and he says, all right, young folks, here or verse, chapter 11 and verse 9. He runs the gambit from 11 verse 9 through 12 verse number 8 for every single person in this room. Are you ready? We're going to take out the uh, chapter designation because it ought not be there. Anyway, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let... Thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the spirit of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. And therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Let's start where he starts. Some would teach you that this is a cry from Solomon to tell the younger generation, just do whatever it is you'd like to do. Ah, incorrect. This is a point at which Solomon would say, do the things uh, career-wise in your life that would, uh, you would tend to like. For example, there are those who like construction and that is not me. If you like that, go do it. Enjoy those things. Enjoy that job that you have. Enjoy those things that you have. He goes on in verse number 9 to say this, but you better understand this one thing. But know thou that everything that you do, everything that you do, God's going to question you about it. So, if you decide to take this job or that job or another, fine. Make sure it's moral and upright and ethical. And enjoy your time. Because living as a youth and a child is vanity. It's pointless. Nothing is brought of that. You and I make it to adulthood. And so, remember now, that Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, that thou will say, I have no pleasure in them. You want an easy outline of life? Number one, remember now. Number two, thy creator. Number three, before it's too late. Verse number one. Let's start with remember now. That's a Hebrew word that would mean something like to mark or to marginalize, or to keep in a margin, or to keep ever before your mind, keep it inside of the, the front of your, of your idea. The word is a towel. Remember now, or remember already. Why? Because you can't go back to yesterday 
and tomorrow might not come. And so, you need to remember now. Remember now what? He would go on to say, remember now thy Creator. You know, he could have said, remember now the, the gods of thy family. Remember now the gods of those who were on the other side of the river, as Joshua said. He could have said, remember now the gods in, in whose land you dwell. The gods who you have been uh, so infatuated with even during my uh, reign as king. Remember now the gods of those 700 wives I have. That's not what he said. He goes to say, remember now thy creator. Which personalizes it for me and you. Not just any god, but remember now the god that has created you. You remember him first in his power, in the fact that he has the power to create and uh, in, in the way that he, that he pronounces things, the way that he speaks. You remember him in his procedures, in his way. You remember now that creator, that one who has made you, spoke us into existence and would plead to us to please live by his way. That's the Creator. Not the one that you would have to figure out what He wants, but the one who would write down exactly what He wants and give it to you in a book. That sounds mighty convenient, doesn't it? That almost sounds as if God wants us to do what He said. Remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The phrase, in the days of thy youth, all the way down till you say, I have no pleasure in them. That idea holds for us the saltiness of life. You remember when you were a kid and everything was sunshine and roses and happy and go lucky and all that? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Let me say one date, and let's see if we can change those smiles. April 15th. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever worry about April the 15th uh, when you were a child? No. But the saltiness of life and the saltiness of uh, adulthood has taken us away from those things that we would say now, I don't have any pleasure in those things. He said, you, you remember your Creator now while you can still say, I don't have any pleasure in these things, and here's the result of why you should do those things. Verse 2, while the sun or the light or the moon, the stars be not darkened or the cloud after return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. My sister attends a congregation outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And their localized preacher is either my age, maybe just a couple of years older than me.
and even now battles Parkinson's to a point to where he will at some points put his hand in his pocket so that it won't tremble out here. It's, it's, it's awful. His, he says, my mental faculties are there. I just can't stop it. In the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Have you noticed your hands trembling as you age? Maybe your handwriting becoming a little more erratic than it used to? Then you remember now that the keepers of the house start to tremble. And the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders shall cease because they're few. And those that look out the windows be darkened. My grandmother Hayes used to tell me at one point in time she was five foot one. At 93 or 4, when whatever her age was when she passed from this life, I can guarantee you this, she wasn't 5 foot 1. Somebody put her in a dryer. She was tiny, little bitty old thing. Remember when you used to be tall and strong, gentlemen, and now you sort of bend a little bit? When the strong man shall bow and bend himself. Look at verse number 2 again. And the grinders shall cease because they're few. Hmm. When your teeth fall out. Anybody have that happen? Is that just me? Are those that look out the windows be darkened? Oh, there's a good one. Can't see as clearly as you once did. I can't see as clearly as you probably can now. What's happening to this person? From chapter 12, verse number 2, through about verse number 8, this person's aging. He had uh, the idea of the youth in verse number 1, and from verse number 2 through verse number 8, he begins the process of aging. And when the doors shall be shut in the streets, and the sound of the grinding is low, and he rise up at the voice of a bird. How many of you woke, wake up in the middle of the night when you hear something and just can't go back to sleep? Is that just me? Oh, yeah. Notice this. He shall rise up at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. I love music. I listen to it all the time. Nowadays, we live with technology where you have waterproof speakers. I will listen to music while I take a shower. Preaching while I take a shower, or this thing or another. There's coming a point which I won't be able to hear it as well. Maybe you've passed that. Maybe the daughters of your music are not hearing as well as they once did. And when all shall be afraid of that which is high. So generally, in October, we have something here called Blaze. And uh, some point in time, I will put a banner up from these speakers about that, that height. And so we have to use one of those big ladders out there. And I know that a few of you don't like it if I jump off of those. Sorry. Don't tell Miss Brandy. You'll say, you're going to hurt yourself. Let me ask you a question. 
for you who might be a little older than me, would you jump from here? Some would say no. Would you jump from here? Some would still say no. Let me ask Cameron or Trace, those guys who went to camp with us, would you jump from here? And they would say, I do it every time. Now, why don't we do the same things they do? Bones get a little brittle, get a little fearful of things breaking or spraining or straining. Mm-hmm. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are getting older. The fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and all those things that we used to do, that we enjoyed doing outside, we just... I don't really want to do that much anymore. I don't feel like doing that kind of work anymore. The desire shall fail. And one of the more poetic lines here in verse number five, because man goeth to his long home. Man goeth to his final place. That eternal uh, destiny of heaven and or hell. And the mourners who were at that funeral go about the streets and go back to their lives. Wherever the silver cord loosened or the golden bowl broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth where it was. And the spirit shall return to God who gave it and he bookends this particular section of Scripture with the way he began the entirety of the book. Everything is pointless. And Solomon's a drag. Everything is pointless. Well, as he looks at it and all of those things that he tried and all of those things that he wanted to be there and all of those things that he hoped on so much have become useless, pointless, vanity, meaningless to him. He finally comes up with the correct uh, answer or the correct um, uh, answer for his, his science experiment, but we're never told if he does it. Now look at verse number 13. Here is the result. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man. Generally, we stop there, don't we? Notice verse 14, how it further explains verse number 13. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, good or evil. If Solomon had two minutes to come back from the eternal realm and speak to you tonight. I think I know what he'd say. Are you ready? This is a man who is the wisest man in the world, the richest man in the world, and he said, I'm going to tell you how to live life. Are you ready? Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is what fills the hole. It's 
It's not stuff. If you think it's stuff, you're going to be upset. If you think it's money or wealth or power or riches or whatever, you're going to be upset. You want to know how to fill the hole? Fear God. Keep His commandments. Why? Because that same God that you would fear and that you would keep His commandments is going to bring every work into judgment. Now, don't look past that phrase too quickly. Every work into judgment. Good things? Yes. Bad things? Yes. The things that are most important? Yes. The things that are least important? Yes. All those things. It would be good to know what the outcome is going to be when you stand before God, wouldn't it? It would be great to know that I have done what He has said so that when I stand before Him, I don't have any fear of standing before Him, but I look forward to standing before Him. I'm not sold that Solomon felt good about standing before God. Even though he knew what the outcome ought to be, I'm not ever sold that he did it. But here's what I know. I know that the God of heaven and earth is kind and merciful and gracious. And I know that the God of heaven and earth has written down what He wants for me to do and for you to do to serve Him on this side of eternity. And I know that God has said, if you will do that, I'll give you a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. And I know what that pattern is. You're going to have to find out what his word says. You're going to have to hear what he has to say, and then you're going to have to believe it enough to do it. Not sometime, not, not a couple of times a week, not, not even six days a week, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You and I, when we put on Christ in baptism, we live the life of a Christian always, knowing that we are amenable to God. Unfortunately for the world, they don't know they're amenable yet. Not only do I hear what he has to say and believe it, I repent of my sin, confess that Jesus the Christ is the Messiah, and be baptized in water in order to access the blood that was shed for me on a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago. And that's the point at which Jesus the Christ, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47, that's the point at which Jesus the Christ adds me to the church. That's the point at which I have heard the conclusion of the whole matter. That's the point in time where I have feared God and I have kept, up to that point, kept His commandments. The idea of keeping His commandments do, does not end there. 
If it did, we'd just baptize everybody in, in town and say everybody's good to go. we take this show all over the nation, and our entire nation would be New Testament Christians. But the laughable statement throughout this particular sermon is that our entire nation is going to become New Testament Christians. They could. They can access that, that, that blood through the water just as quickly as you and I can. Now let's take our minds off of them for a moment and put it on ourselves. Have you done that? If the answer is no, then my question for you is why not? What are you waiting for? You know, you can't be any loster than lost. You can't be any saveder than saved. But those are two extremely different sides of that coin. Oh, I think, don't think. Don't think. No. According to 1 John, especially chapter 5, we can know that we served Him. We can know that we're doing those things faithfully. Can a person know they're lost? Shake or not. Then a person can know they're saved. If you've put on Christ in baptism and yet... You haven't lived like it. Let me encourage you to get all that trash out of the hole and put God back where he's supposed to go. Come back home right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Blessed